Have you guys ever had like a chaotic morning trying to get here on time and all that good jazz? Was it one of those mornings for anyone else? Yeah? All right, well, uh, we, had, we had an exciting one uh, here today. Uh, so thank you to all those who uh, I woke up uh, to come to my house uh, to do some things, to go back home, to get your family and come here. Uh, thank you, and thank you again for those who um, discovered the tall grass and helped resolve that. Uh, it was an adventure this morning, so uh, I confess I'm coming up here just a little scatterbrained. Uh, the good news is uh, I have lots of notes, so we'll get through this uh, together. Um, but also, just thank you guys, man. Like, it was a crazy morning. I know it is uh, sometimes for a lot of you, um, uh, but thank you for making it a priority. This is a priority. Um, being together as God's people should be a priority for us. And so uh, with that, we'll, we'll jump in. So today we reach uh, the halfway mark in this series in the book of Amos. And so by this point in our study, it's become clear to us what this book is all about. The book of Amos serves as a reminder of who our God is, the calling placed upon us as God's people, as well as the invitation to repent, but more uh, to be able to come to him without fear, to return to him. And so with that, there's this warning that goes uh, out to all those who reject that calling and invitation. So this book has carried a consistent message of God's justice and his judgment. It's challenged us to examine our lives to see if we are a people of true worship who pursue righteousness and who respond to God's call with repentance and obedience. This book has been teaching us that the good news is that God is a king of compassion with care for all people, especially those in need. And he's also a king of justice who will discipline those who wander from his ways and who will judge those who, ought, uh, who just outright reject him. So put most simply, the message of this book is threefold. And it's to remember, remember that God is king and judge. It's to repent, acknowledge the ways that we've rebelled and rejected his authority, and return, to turn back to God, to seek him and live freely and without fear, knowing how much he loves his people and cares deeply for their well-being. So the message of this book, listen, is the gospel that Yahweh is king, so repent and believe and receive salvation. That's the gospel, always, and it's clear in this book. And so although this book has been filled with almost constant rebukes, in them we've also been reminded that he's a God of grace and mercy. We've seen that Yahweh is a God and king who gives countless chances for repentance before his judgment comes and who quickly forgives and celebrates those who take his invitation to repent and return. And so we saw that this book began with that call for his people to come home. And last week we ended our time with the parable of the prodigal son and how the father not only receives but runs to those who would return to him. 
And so chapter four last week, it showed us God's frustration with the people who continually refuse his invitation and ignore his attempts to get their attention even despite his acts of discipline upon them. His frustration towards their total rebellion, but we also saw what it means to repent and return and how true repentance and worship looks like the life lived like the wise woman of Proverbs 31. So that was last week. So this morning, as we enter into chapter five, we'll we'll explore more deeply the picture of true worship, but we'll begin not with God's frustration, but his deep sadness as he mourns for the people who will experience his judgment instead of his joy. And so open with me to chapter five. We'll begin in verse one. It says this. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. So hear this word of lamentation. In English, that, that word lamentation means the passionate expression of grief or sorrow, weeping. But it's actually more than that. In Hebrew, the word's more specific. It's the word for a dirge. And if you don't know what a dirge is, it's a lament for the dead, especially one forming part of a funeral. Typically, it's a song or a poem. So here we have this picture of our God mourning over the loss of his his child, the nation Israel. And he's weeping because his young daughter has died and she died because those uh, who she was entrusted to forsook her. The leaders God placed over the people failed to care for his daughter. Instead, they abused her and left her for dead. So parents, imagine having to leave your infant child with relatives you trusted only to return home and discover that your family abandoned them to die. Think about the deep feelings of betrayal and grief and understand that this is God's heart towards those who don't know him yet. And this is his experience with those who refuse to take seriously their role as stewards of those that God has entrusted to them. So in this picture, we see that God's not angry with lost people. He breaks and mourns. And if there is any anger, like we saw last week, it's with those who, who should have cared for the lost and the needy. So God's anger is towards bad stewards, not lost people. I think we often forget that. And so then when we read next that 90% of those in Israel will die It's not a picture of God's wrath, but of God's wailing as he watches the people he loves die by the tens and hundreds because those he entrusted to raise them failed to do so. So this is God crying when we, his stewards, close our eyes to the people and the needs of the Northeast or our neighborhoods. God, such that they live and die as spiritual orphans abandoned by those God called to care for them, which is us. So church, God cares for the lost, and we should too.
He's called us to be his messengers, his hands, his feet to the people around us. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents is the story of how God sees the ones who receive his gifts and either use them wisely or who keep them and hide them away. So if you're unfamiliar, I encourage you this week to reread the story found in Matthew 25 through 14, and I, and I encourage you to ask yourself, of the three servants in that story, which one most often are you? And so all of this, here's what I'm saying. It was just up on the screen before. God cares for the lost and calls us to care for them too. We are his royal priesthood, being his representatives on earth involves us uh, representing him and his care for the world. That's our job. We who are God's children are called into the family business of caring for and being ambassadors to the people in the world around us. And so this is the point um, in Amos, and as we look around us, Um, We we talked about this earlier in the series that we are our brother's keeper and our brothers includes our neighbors and our neighbors include strangers. And I've told you this before, hospitality by definition is the love of strangers. So this is our job as royal children in God's family kingdom. And so if we fail to do our job, listen, we will never face judgment for our failures because Jesus Christ has taken that for us. But we are God's stewards and we can absolutely disappoint God or face discipline when we don't worship him properly by walking in his ways. He's a good father. So what are his ways? What are we called to walk in? If what I'm saying is true, that we can disappoint God and he can discipline us, it's really important that we know what his ways are. And so last week, we looked outside the book of Amos to find those ways modeled for us, and we defined his ways, true worship, as the life lived like the wise woman. This week, we find the answer depicted differently, but to the same effect. So read with me, beginning in verse 4. Let's read this again together. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, do not enter into Gilgal. Or cross over Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that the destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, and you've built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them, You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, 
that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So unlike the story of the prodigal woman in Proverbs 31, here we have like the list of like all the not to do's. Uh, but when you pull those apart, you can see the picture that he is painting of who he calls us to be. And so uh, we find in them actually the same characteristics that were in Lady Wisdom, and we see them as an instruction. And here we find God's plea to remember their God and recognize him as Lord. Last week, the repeated line was, yet you did not return. But today, it is return. It's seek, seek. Seek, come to me, pursue me, pursue what is mine and good. Don't go to these other temples to try to worship me or others. Come to me. Don't hate reproof. Seek the truth, and when you hear it, listen and change for the better. Stop trampling on the poor. Care for them. Stop focusing on your house, your vineyard, your car, your bank account. Instead, worry about the man or the woman next to you who's struggling to pay their rent. That's actually your problem, something that you need to be worried about. Other people's needs are our needs because we are our brother's keeper and God calls us to be stewards of his world, which means caring for it and the people within it. Do you know that Liberty Northeast, your leaders care about these things? Just this week, we signed a check to help someone in this way to help with their rent and other bills. And the only reason that we could do that is because some of you are generous here and because your leaders are generous here because they care. So if you're generous, if you're one of those people here, that's what you're giving towards. Continued generosity. And listen, I don't know who you are, but I know there's people in this room that need to grow in that. Some of you need to look at your budget or your bank account and repent for the ways that you've been selfish and unfaithful with God's house and his car and his bank account, which you too often mistake for your own. And listen, it's easy to make that mistake. Like, listen, I almost did that this week. Friday morning, I had 0% of this sermon written. I, I had a long week, and I was stressed. I was uh, just anxious. All I wanted to do was focus and get this done, and so I got up early. I left my house at 7 a.m. I went to the local coffee shop to sit down to work on this sermon, and minutes after sitting down, I got interrupted by a man who needed a friend and a listening ear. This story, by the way, it's not a brag, it's a confession. So anyways, as I, um, I was sitting there with him, as challenging as my week was, closing my laptop to listen and speak to this man was probably the hardest thing I did this week. I didn't want to. But after listening to this man and praying with this man, do you know what happened next? I left the shop I walked to an ATM. I pulled money out of God's saving account to give to one of God's children whom he loves and wants provided for. And guess what? In that moment, it was a very unpleasant experience for me. 
uh, just being honest, I did not enjoy the process of pulling money from the savings account that I have. I had other plans for that money. But after I returned and this man received the provision from God, do you know how much smaller the number in my bank account affected me or hurt me? It didn't. None at all. It actually did not negatively impact me in any way to see a smaller number on that computer screen. And if I didn't tell my wife, she would have never known it happened. My daughter uh, will not go hungry. My house will still be there when I get home. The AC will be on full blast. So as far as sacrifices go, it was actually a really easy one. And I'm kind of embarrassed that my heart went kicking and screaming, to be honest with you, but I'm so thankful that God called me and that despite myself, I obeyed him because I want to live that life like Lady Wisdom. And I want, I want to be the person of true worship, but that requires action, and more importantly, it requires the right action. So that was an act of worship because I put somebody else before me for him. And so I believe it was pleasing to him as much as it wasn't for me. So church, if I'm the only one here with stories like that after this series, the whole thing was kind of worthless. If we aren't able to pay for a few backpacks for the people in Parkwood by the 20th, um, we just shouldn't show up next week. Verse 14 and 15 tells us that in order to actually seek God, we must seek good and love it. And that requires by nature our efforts and sacrifices to establish justice. Our faith should, should be active. It should be intentionally hospitable, loving the stranger. And when we reach out our hands to the poor, it isn't supposed to be empty. It's supposed to dispense God's provision. So if you're here this morning and you claim to be one of God's people, you must care like God cares. So to seek God involves seeking the good of others and establishing justice at the gates in your neighborhoods. If we truly love God and care for others, we, we, we will sacrifice to do so. Because, listen, love requires sacrifice. Christ showed us that. True care comes at a cost. So to seek God involves seeking the good of others, and true care comes with a cost. Jump with me to verse 18 in the final verses of our text this morning. It says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and learned his, leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. See, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fat and animals, I will not look upon them. 
Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up uh, Sekuth, your king, and Cayune, your star god, your images that you have made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So the people of Amos' day were awaiting the day of the Lord. They prayed for this day that God would establish his kingdom and rule over all the earth because they thought that that meant they would be the ones reigning with him. For those who don't know the day of the Lord, it it refers to this ultimate time when Yahweh will punish and restore the whole world through Christ's first and second coming, but it also refers to specific times in history when God intervenes significantly in Israel's history in ways that um, image and point towards that final day. So for the unrepentant sinner, it's not this day of joy, but it's a day they should fear. And there will be no hiding from it. It will be a bad day, outrunning a lion, dodging a bear only to be bit in what you thought was the safety of your own home is a bad day. The day of the Lord will be an unexpected and deadly surprise to those who do not heed God's warnings. Even more, it will be a surprise to those who believe that they're safe in the insufficiencies of their religious activities. And here lies the warning for us in this room. Church, be careful. If you're here this morning or if you're listening from home, God does not want our empty praise or cheap offerings. Listen to his word from Hosea chapter 6, 6. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Or better from Jesus himself, John 14, 15, if you love me, If you really love me, you will keep my commandments. So God wants our love and our obedience as a son obeys his father. That's what love looks like. He doesn't desire our sacrifices or our offerings. The phrase, it's better to ask forgiveness, is from the pit of hell when it comes to Christ. And the Israel God is referring to in those 40 days uh, um, or 40 years of wandering in the desert, listen, they're not the generation that entered the promised land. They're the ones who died in the sand because they didn't hear or heed God's warnings to repent and return to him. And so they wandered because at every turn they turned away from God, despite being so close to his presence, they had the pillar of fire. God was right there, but they did not acknowledge him or obey him for who he was. They continued to live in a rebellion, all the while claiming his name. So when he provided for them, they complained that it wasn't the provision they wanted. When their past seemed difficult, They claimed that God's plans weren't for their good, but for their destruction. When God disciplined them for the rebellion and trespass, they saw him as an angry, vindictive God. And yet, despite their continued rebellion, they still believed that they were owed the promised land. So listen to me. Is that any of you this morning? The day of the Lord 
which Israel received was a day of judgment because they did not seek God, but only his gifts. They didn't want him, just what they thought they could get out of him. But true worship, genuine faith, does not work that way. In true worship, God is the prize. He's the thing you seek. And when you do so, we gain access to all the things that are his simply because he's generous. So he cares for the lost and offers them wonderful things, but you can't separate the gifts from the gift giver. You can't have God's grace while rejecting the God who is gracious. Genuine followers of God know that grace is free through faith, but discipleship has a cost because it requires us to serve and sacrifice like Christ served and sacrificed to care for us. True worshipers of God are willing to pay the cost to care for others because Christ has paid that for us. So for us here who are listening, let this be a warning not to deceive ourselves. If you're here this morning because you believe that being a part of the church community will get you into God's, you're wrong. If you're here because you think that all God wants from you is an hour a week of your time to hear you sing his name, he's not listening to you. God wants disciples and children who hear their father and seek his approval by obeying his commands and walking in his ways. And so if you truly believe in all the ways that we might fail to do so because we'll fail to do so, listen, we will never face God's judgment for that. Christ took the judgment. We will never experience wrath. But God is a good father who will discipline us and give us reproof so that we can become better and become closer pictures of him. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells another parable to illustrate this. And he says this, what do you think? A man has two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said to them, the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Said so the answer is the first. So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Too many times we come here and we hear God's word preached and we sing his name and we say amen, but upon walking out these doors, we ignore the collection plate. Or on the drive home, we pass the homeless person on the side of the street. Or when we go to grab our coffee at Wawa, we ignore the beggar outside the door. And we go home during the week and we mistreat our families. Or we go to work and we avoid our coworkers despite their need for a friend or to to hear the simple but good news that Jesus can free them from their burdens. And for all this, we have excuses that sound good to us. But none of that is for the seeking of good, but for our comfort. And all of it is the reflection of our warped worship of ourselves. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. And so listen, uh, I know some of you are probably asking yourselves, 
like why you're here right now. Like it's hard enough to get our families here and out the door. We talked about that already this morning, uh, let alone come here and have uh, somebody who looks like me tell you how we're just a bunch of sinful failures who disappoint God. And listen, that's not the message I ultimately want to send across, although it may be true. But at the same time, like none of us should come out of a study in this book feeling really good about ourselves. This book is meant to make us evaluate ourselves, to hear and to see where we have failed and fallen off course so we can get back on track and so we can grow in our faith so that we can become better disciples and grow in compassion and care so that we can be compassionate and caring like our God. It's so that we can stop some of our warped ways of worship and turn back to God and live lives of true worship. This book and its message may not feel good, but it's absolutely for our good. And despite the areas of discomfort, we can take comfort in the greatness, the great news of this book, which is that despite the realities of our failures, God never fails to offer forgiveness to those who would remember, repent, and return to him. Despite uh, our wandering, God always reserves a home for us to return to. But in order to receive it, you have to return. And we don't get to choose the path that gets us there. Jesus is the way. He blazed the trail in his death and resurrection. The road he mapped out for us is toll free. And the gate at the end has free admission because he paid for it. All expenses paid. But in order to get to that destination, we have to go that way on his road. The way of worship takes us down streets where compassion is required, though. The intersections have homeless and needy that God expects us to stop for along the route. There are detours that God expects us to take, which will take us past prisons, which we're meant to enter and bring others with us, prisoners who God has freed by the message that we brought to them. That's part of our job. And I know that because of another picture found in Matthew 25, this time in verses 31 through 40. It says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did, you, uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did for one of the least of these, my brother, you did to me. So this is true worship. 
And the reason it's true worship is because it's the life that reflects a deep understanding of who our God is. The one who lives righteously remembers who their God is and what he's done for us. The one who puts out their hand towards the least of these recognizes that this is their state apart from God. And so they seek God by loving good and seeking it for others as God sought it for them. The one who lives this way is proven repentant by the fruits of their faith. This person described here understands that their God cares for the lost and comprehends that 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 care has a cost. And so this person, the true worshiper, the righteous person, the wise woman is willing to pay that cost because they're so grateful that Christ paid it for them. And so they wish to share that provision with others. So the book of Amos so far has taught us that God cares for the lost and calls for us to care for them too. And to seek God is to seek the good of others. And that true care comes at a cost. But we've also seen that true worshipers of God are willing to pay that cost for others because Christ has paid it for them. Is that you? This morning it's my prayer that we would remember that our God is a king and savior deserving of genuine worship because he's the kind of king who's willing to pay the cost required to care for us. And it's my hope that we would respond to this truth with repentance and recognize where we fall short such that we would seek him and return to him by following the road that Jesus has paved for us and all along the way stopping to care for the least of these, the way that Jesus modeled and the Father has commanded. Let's pray.